Good morning. Welcome to College Dell Community Church. I love that video in Sabbath school today. We were talking about darkness when our lives are in darkness. This world is hard, but I love the thing that said, God turns darkness into light. And that is so comforting to me. I, if you've had a rough week, uh, hopefully God will turn that darkness into light. We are so grateful that you are here worshiping with us today. I want to say hello to those that are online um, around the world. Welcome to College Dell Community Church. Uh, not in person, but over the internet. Um, there is a lot of things going on in church. I want to make sure you read your bulletin, get a copy of that. And we also, a lot of people are taking advantage of this. I'm so, so grateful. If you want to contact us in any way, shape, or form, you have a prayer request. Put it on here, put it in the offering basket, and we read these every single week. We pray over these every single week. We take them very seriously. And there's also, if you're interested in a Bible study, you're interested in baptism, you want a pastoral visit, check it on there, put your name on there, and we'll make that happen. So use these to communicate with us. Um, again, because of COVID, our offering's different. Our baskets are in the back. You can drop your offering in the back, and we thank you for your dedicated giving uh, and sacrificial giving for our church. We're so grateful for that. We'd like to start our worship service with a word of prayer, so I invite those who are able and willing to kneel. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your Sabbath. Thank you that we can have a day to take, get away from the hustle and bustle of this world. Lord, it's, this is a hard place to live in. And a lot of us have trials and difficulties each and every week. And Lord, thank you for relieving those at times. And Lord, we give all that to you today. All of our sorrows, all of our concerns, all of, all of everything in our life, we give to you and we leave it at your throne. And we thank you in advance for answering and hearing those prayers. Now, Lord, we need to hear a word from you. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, that we may understand the spiritual things that you have for us today, so that we can understand them. And Lord, be with Pastor Jerry as he opens the word. May the words he speak come directly from you. And may we understand those words and grow closer to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's a little cold, so snuggle up and join us in singing this morning. Yes. 
wonderful thing to be children of God. And as we go through this life, we know we don't have to do it alone. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need God. There's no question about that. And he's there for us when we seek him.
Haley has agreed to answer a few questions. Haley, how old are you? Um, I am 14 years old. 14. And she wrote that song. The melody is striking. It's just beautiful. But the words express a depth of emotion. Tell us what was going on. So I wrote that song about a year ago during quarantine. And around that time, I was going through a rough patch. My brother was born early and he had some problems. So he was in the hospital for almost a month and a tornado hit our area. And it was just a hard time, but um, I got closer to God in that time. And I think that's what inspired my song. Amen. And the, the, the one phrase, you love me all along, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So all through the rough patch, he loved you. And uh, Haley, you have blessed us tremendously. We've, those of us who have been longtime members, watched you grow up on this rostrum right here. Your mom would bring you up to sing and sometimes with your uh, friends. But... Uh, what we want to do is have a word of prayer for you and ask you to do one thing. Every time you have a rough patch, write another song. <laughs> right? <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for your anointing on Haley. And uh, we pray it will continue, and that you will take the beautiful talent you have blessed her with and use it for your glory and for your honor. Please help her to continue writing meaningful, wonderful songs that will be a blessing to others during their rough patches as well. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give this young lady another round of applause.
Welcome today. I want to have a word of prayer for you. Father in heaven, here we are in your house, gathered in your name. And I, I pray it will be as if we are like children sitting at your feet and you're going to tell us a story. And in telling us that story, we pray you will make application to our lives. And we ask, Lord, not only application, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change our hearts. We would take opportunity. We would take the chance of getting closer to you. Please draw us to you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Bible study today begins in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. We continue Jesus' teachings at the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at his comments about judging, and uh, we learned some wonderful things. This week he continues, but this time he is talking about prayer. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, Will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is also repeated by Luke, but Luke adds a couple of things, so let's look at that in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 9. This is how Luke recorded it. <clears throat> but I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you notice that Luke added an egg and a scorpion? And Luke also, at the end of it, identified this as God the Father, giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Both Luke and Matthew record these comments of Jesus in the context of Jesus talking about prayer. In Luke 11, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And you know the rest of that prayer. What I want you to note is Jesus instructing us when we pray to add, your will be done. Now let's go to Matthew, and we'll see that in context with the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has this associated with his instructions, the same prayer. We find it in Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So that's kind of the background that gives us some, uh, a look at it. And our initial observations will be this. The expression, your will be done, must be included in all sincere prayer. You see, God is way too wise and way too loving to answer every prayer we pray the way we want it. I imagine there are many here who right now could say, thank you, God, that you didn't answer some of the prayers that I prayed the way I wanted them. Some would be honest enough to say they would not even be alive now if God had answered some of the prayers they have prayed. So God is too wise, he is too loving to answer the prayers, every prayer that we want the way we want it. I want to <clears throat> encourage you when you pray to add the element of your will be done. You see, if, if you're praying for something and you're praying for a long time for that something, <clears throat> maybe specific, maybe a relationship, maybe you have someone in mind that you're wanting their heart to somehow, God, to move on their heart so that they would like you, love you, uh, maybe marry you. Pray that long enough, and if it doesn't happen, and someone over here shows up, and they do like us, love us, and we end up getting married, subconsciously we are teaching ourselves, you know, really maybe prayer isn't the answer, because I prayed specifically for this person and nothing happened, and then this person just showed up. However, if we had been praying all along, nevertheless, your will be done, that would have been an answered prayer for us. And here is one of the secrets of eternity. God saves the best for those who let him choose. That's not just in relationships, that's in everything. So when we pray, Excuse me. When we pray, add the element, your will be done. We cannot lose. We will only win. Okay, there's another initial observation. There is no mocking involved with God. None. Bread, stone, fish, serpent, egg, scorpion, not going to happen from him. In fact, he uses that as an illustration that 
even men who are evil know how to give good gifts. When we ask something of the Lord, even if it's outlandish, He will not mock us. He loves us. I know what it's like to be mocked on a certain level. There was a time in my life I needed a car. And I told my parents I needed a car. And it was Christmas time. It was perfect. I got a car, but it was about three inches long. I got it, but I felt mocked. God will never, ever mock us in our prayers. <clears throat> we learn in our initial observations that even men, being evil, know how to give good gifts to their children how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? This is something I want you to grab on to. God has our best interest in mind. He loves us. He's paid the ultimate price to save us. Everything else is a lesser gift. And so if he's willing to give the great gift, he's willing to give the lesser gifts as well. And so, in our initial observations, we see that God is for us. He's not against us. He will not mock us. We contribute to the prayer, the sincerity of having His will be done, and we're going to be okay. Well, let's look at verses 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 7. Here is where I think we can have some confusion. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Well, the first thing I want to say is this is good news. The one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks will find the door open. It's good news. It is uh, wonderful. It is a command with a promise. In fact, the way it reads in the Greek, it's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And on one hand, it is certainly teaching persistence in prayer. It is teaching us not to get discouraged by unanswered prayer. Add thy will be done, and we'll discover many, likely, more answered prayers than what we've uh, been seeing. So God wants us to persist in prayer. That seems fairly obvious. Ask, seek, knock. It is not teaching that if we bug him enough, we'll get what we want. And there are some that kind of read that and kind of think that. And there's a, a story that I've shared before, but not everybody's here every time, or not everybody's listening. <laughs> the little boy was praying. It was December. Every night, his mother would take him to bed and tuck him into bed, but before he went to bed, he would kneel down and pray. 
And for a number of nights, he was praying, and he got to a part where he said, and God, I want a bicycle for Christmas. But he would say it very, very loud. <laughs> and his mother said, honey, God can hear you. You don't have to talk loud like that. And he said, I know God can hear me, but grandma's down the hall. So I'm, I'm not convinced this is about persistence only. So when I looked at this, ask, seek, knock, they all end up well. They all end up good. But could there not be something more meaningful behind it than what is apparent? And I got thinking about it in the context of relationships. I want you to picture a child in a home. The parent is present. The child wants something. The child will simply ask the parent what they want. If the parent has moved to another room, what will the child do? Will seek the parent out. If the child has gone into a room and shut the door, what will the child do? They'll knock on the door. And so I'm thinking in my mind, you know, that makes sense, Lord. Is, is there anything to this? Is there anything to that? Does this ask, seek, and knock, could it relate on any level to three different conditions of the human heart or life experience. And so just going out on a limb, I thought, let me explore this, God. So I looked up the word ask in the Bible concordance. And lo and behold, the very first use of the word ask actually reinforced for me the idea that this may be demonstrating experiences. The very first use of the word ask in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 32, verse 29, and I'd like you to turn there. Genesis 32, verse 29. It is the story of Jacob. I'll remind you of that story in just a moment. Let's read the verse. Genesis 32, verse 29, Then Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Now you remember the story of Jacob. Jacob was a twin. His brother's name was Esau. They were rivals as they grew up. They were not friends. They were in competition for their parents' affections. And Jacob, when he became older, used deception to get the family blessing of the firstborn. When it was told him that his brother Esau was going to kill him, he fled to the land of Haran where his mother Rebekah came from. He was there 20 years, and it seemed time to return. 
He had four wives, 12 male children, one named female child. He may have had many female children, but only one that is named. As he is journeying from Haran back home 500 miles, he's got these children and he's got a large, large number of uh, animals in his flock. He sends people out ahead of him and lo and behold, he learns that Esau has heard that Jacob is coming home. And all the Bible says is they came back and reported to Jacob that Esau was coming with 400 men. The Bible doesn't say what Esau's plans were, but the implication is you're in trouble, Jacob. Esau will now exact the revenge he's waited 20 years to do. So in order to make the best of the situation, Jacob took his family and divided them into two companies, the Bible says. And he put one in one place, one in another. So that if Esau came and attacked one of the companies, Esau might think that was the entirety of the family and at least some would live. Had to be an awful, awful thing to go through. He dismissed the families and went alone up onto this mountain where he, this story takes place. He is alone in prayer. And while he is praying, God shows up, literally, physically. It is Jesus that shows up. In fact, in verse 30, it says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Likely, you will never find in the Bible a story where Jesus is closer to somebody than in this story. They are actually wrestling. Jacob doesn't know it's Jesus initially. And God is wrestling with Jacob. And, and when Jacob is humbled by the Lord and acknowledges, Jacob acknowledges who he is, what he's done, God blesses him, even gives him a new name. And Jacob wrestled with God. And so I began to think about this, ask. And I aligned it with my life and with the life of many I know. There are some of you who cannot tell the day when you ask Jesus into your heart. Some of you because you never have, others of you because you, you grew up in church and you, there's not a month, there's not a date, there's not a year. It just is your experience. Oh, I know the month, I know the year, and I know the time of day. I don't remember the date, but I know the experience. Because when God drew near to me, and I was in a desperate situation, I asked him into my heart. He came. He changed my life. He changed the direction of my life. He forgave me of my sins and gave me a reason and a purpose to live. I asked. Because of the nearness of the Lord, all I had to do was ask. And so I think in application, 
When it comes to salvation, the Lord will draw near to us. He seeks us out. And all we have to do is respond, ask him to come in to our hearts, and he will. And it may be that we have asked him into our heart before, and we are walking with the Lord. And there are times when a song like Haley sings, or when we have an experience in church, or in a conversation, or something takes place, we feel extremely close to God, and we can talk to Him just as if we're in the same room. And we ask, like the child speaking to their parent. So, well, that seemed to fit. But what about seek? So, again, using the concordance, one of the very first uses of the word seek seemed to apply, demonstrating a different type of experience, a different situation in life. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, a little background. Moses has been with the people of Israel for 40 years. Moses is going to die. He is going to leave them into the hands of God through his servant Joshua. Joshua will lead them into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is rehearsing the history of the experience of the Exodus. He rehearses certain stories of what happened during the wilderness journeying, and he is appealing to them to be faithful to God. In the book of Deuteronomy, you will find a section that is the blessings that God will give the people if they're faithful. Right alongside those, you will find the curses that will come upon them if they're unfaithful. So it's from the loving heart of a shepherd who is going to be gone and wants these people to be successful. But here, Moses is speaking prophetically. He is demonstrating that they are going to fail. They're going to serve other gods. They're going to follow after idols. And they're going to be taken out of their home uh, country and dispersed. But watch what he says to do. We start in verse 27. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Wow. I wonder, could it be when Jesus says ask and seek, if we're looking at the different experiences in life, different stages, different levels, spiritually maybe even, that when he comes to the seek, He's identifying that person maybe who had an experience with God like Israel did. Maybe they've walked with God at some time in their life, but now they have turned away. And when they turned away, they've discovered 
those curses. That life is not going good. Life is awful. And they know because of sin they're separated from God. What a beautiful promise. Seek the Lord with all your heart and he will be found. Sin crept in. Sin caused a separation. But you seek him and you will find him. And what does it say in verse 31? For the Lord your God is a merciful God. So we see the knock. Excuse me, we see the ask. He's right there. Just simply ask him into our hearts. Talk to him. He's close. He's doing that to save us. And if because of sin or maybe because of pain, maybe because of health issues, maybe because of financial stress, we don't sense the closeness of God. It may be we're separated because of sin. It may be doubt. It may be all kinds of reasons, but we don't sense the Lord's presence. Seek, you will find. And if we seek with all our hearts, we will find him, and we will find him to be merciful. He is our Father. So, I was on a roll. I was thinking, man, this will preach, God. This will preach. You ask because of his nearness. You seek because of his distance. Knock. I challenge you. Take your concordance and look up the word knock. We've seen them pretty much, all except there's another place, but it's Jesus that is knocking on the door of our heart. So I'm thinking, well, what, what does knock mean? Because, Lord, it seems so practical where you've got my mind going here, where the scriptures seem to be leading. And then I thought, oh, go back to the child, go back to the relationship. Now, if that child is in a loving, caring home, they will have a different response to a parent behind a door than a child who is in an abusive situation. If a child is in an abusive situation where the parent is ready to pounce on that child, to blame that child, maybe uh, beat them either physically, emotionally, or both, should the parent be separated from them and they're in a room behind a door, that child is very well, we'll be very timid in knocking on the door. They don't want to offend the parent on the other side. However, if that child is in a loving home, in a caring home, that knows the parent, loves them, they're, they're not under any cloud about that. If they have had the experience of asking in the living room and then the parent got up and they went and they, they sought them, found them. But in another scenario, the parent is in a room with the door shut. How will that child knock? Bam, 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 bam. They have no, no inhibition. 
They're boldly knocking. Why are they boldly knocking? They have no fear. You know, the worst thing that'll happen is, uh, wait, dear, just give me a minute, and I'll open the door. We'll be together again. And so I thought, well, what does that knocking represent? Could it be boldness? You know, the person who's asked Jesus into their heart, you know, or the one who has reestablished himself in the Lord, and now there's a door. They're going to approach that door with a boldness. And when I thought of that, my mind went immediately to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're looking at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now this is reflections of the Old Testament ceremonial sacrificial system that took place in the temple. There was a high priest. And that high priest was the, uh, the big person spiritually. And they were to lead the nation spiritually. And Jesus is likened to being a high priest. He's not a good high priest. He's not a decent high priest. He is a great high priest. A great high priest. Why? Notice, all through the scriptures, the role of a priest was to intercede between man and God. The role of the priest was to help this guy get to God. The role of the priest was to help God communicate to this guy. And so Jesus is doing that as our Savior. He is the bridge between us and God. We walk upon Jesus, if you will, to get to the Father. He is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, died, buried, rose again, and he has passed through the heavens to be at the right hand of God his Father. And he's named here Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Jesus is our great high priest. It goes on. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. It's so harsh to go to a religious person and to confess to them your weaknesses and they mock you in it. You need to be strong like me. You need to be disciplined like me. Uh, no, Jesus doesn't treat us that way. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Why? It says, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows the weight of temptation upon you. Jesus suffered at temptation while he walked. But praise God, he never yielded, and he was able to offer himself a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So Jesus sympathizes with us, though. He understands what it's like. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, excuse me, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Ask, 
Seek, knock. So when we ask, we're asking Jesus into our heart. His very nearness demands it. When we're seeking, we're trying to reestablish ourselves with the Lord. And we find him to be merciful. And when that happens, man, we fly to that throne of grace and we pound on that door. And we say, oh God, in your grace, in your mercy, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the victories I need. You are my father. I am your child. That I do not doubt. I'm staying right here until you open this door. And what's Jesus say? What will happen? The door will open. The door will open. So let's go back to Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Let's look at it on the screen, and we're going to read it out loud together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Do you want to receive? Do you want to find? Do you want the door opened? It is a promise from God that it will happen. So today, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but I'm going to give you opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. He's very near. He's speaking to each one. Only you and him know where you're at in your relationship with him. I'll teach you how to do it. Simply goes like this. Father in heaven, I ask Jesus to come into my heart. I ask him to be my savior. Now we're all gonna say that, but only those who are sincere will be blessed by it. So repeat after me, Father in heaven, I ask for Jesus to come into my heart. I ask him to be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ask. We seek. As I mentioned earlier, if you find yourself adrift right now, find yourself at some distance from God, you seek him for his forgiveness and his mercy, and you will find it. And if you have Jesus in your heart, and if you know his forgiveness and mercy, I implore you, be bold at the throne of grace, asking your Father in heaven for great and powerful things in your life. Ask for his will to be done, and you will never fail. So is there anyone here today who would like to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to ask, I want to seek, 
I want to find. If you want to say to the Lord, you want that, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, thank you so very, very much for making it all possible for us not only to be saved, but to walk with you, to be forgiven, to come back to you if we've wandered, and to, with boldness, pound at the door of your throne of grace, knowing you will indeed open it for us. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing as we have our closing song. believe that Jesus will soon return. May we all be found ready to meet him in peace when he appears. Father in heaven, I pray for these dear, dear people. I ask that you will continue watching over them and their families. I pray that your presence would be so real in their lives that their faith in you would be strong. I'm asking that you will hear their prayers and that you would answer those prayers according to your will. We are all praying that you will save our children, our family members, our loved ones, and our friends. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless and go in peace.